We're in Romans. We're at chapter 14, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Okay. What he's talking about here is referring to the Jewish converts who are joining the Gentile Christians' churches. Remember, uh, as he went to some of the synagogues, two and three Sabbaths, he'd get some converts and most of the synagogues would throw them out. So they would join with the Christian Gentiles and the advantage was they could teach the Gentiles about the law and the principles and things like that. But they were still holding to certain things that they didn't have to because their conscience hadn't been enlightened. So this is what he's talking about. Many are weak in faith, okay? So what does it mean? Jews could not eat certain foods. Some were cling, some were uncling, and so forth. And if they did it, it was sort of like their Sabbaths. You didn't break it. You didn't do it. So he was telling them, don't pass judgment on his not eating certain things, for their conscience has not been trained or enlightened. And they have not been able to accept the freedom that Paul talked about that Christians have, Gentiles. We're not bound to the Jewish ceremonies and laws and not eat this and not eat that and observe certain days. The Gentile accept it readily. The Jews have been ingrained in it, and so it was still part of their thinking. Remember Jesus told them at the last few times he met with them, he told the apostles there's certain things that are hard for you to understand, but you can't. He said, but when the Spirit comes, he will guide you. Well, one of the things was, remember, the Jews did not think the gospel was mainly for the Gentiles. So for several years, they would not go preach and teach Gentiles. They were still teaching, trying to convert the Jews to Christ. And the other thing was the the restoration of Israel. Peter asked him before he ascended, when will you restore it? Well, they expected the Messiah once he resurrected, to reign as Messiah and take over, put the Romans under and rule. Well, that's not going to be for a few thousand years. And Jesus did not answer him. He simply said, his answer was, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. He knew that Peter be dead. And after Pentecost, they never asked that question again. They realized then that the holy nation is the body of Christ and that God's rejecting Israel temporarily as a nation because they broke the covenant. Uh, They murdered the Messiah and the apostles. He let it go on for 40 years. He gave them probation and sent people to witness to him as Paul was doing. He'd go into certain cities, and he would seek out the Jewish synagogues, and he would witness to them of Christ for two or three Sabbaths. And usually they would reject him as a whole, but a few of them would accept. And like I say, these are the Jews that would join the Gentile churches. There were advantages and disadvantages. So we are seeing then they did not have the freedom of conscience. And Paul comes along and he tells us all these things and he's telling us now, don't bother with these indifferent things, these foods and drinks, that they're not spiritually important. 
Under the law they were because they did not have Christ in them. The Lord gave them many rules and regulations to keep them busy and to teach them. The law was a schoolmaster of what Christ was going to do. But they did not have the liberty that the Christian has, that he's not bound to all of these things. And so we'll see. He would say, don't pass judgment. If they feel it's wrong to do it, don't tell them they should do it. You just leave them alone because their conscience must be enlightened. If they obey you and do it anyway, they've sinned, whether it's right or wrong. And we'll see later on, whatever's not of faith is sin. It means they're presuming, and he was teaching them, don't go against your conscience. Until your conscience is enlightened, you follow it. And we'll talk about that later. Christians in the same position on certain things, and they don't feel that they can do certain things that other Christians can. But we'll find out he's not talking about sins, the murder, cheat, steal, and lying, all the gross sins. He's talking about earthly matters as food and drinking and ceremonies. These are outward, and we'll find out they have no spirituality, that when Christ came, he fulfilled those things. And we're not bound to any of these things. That's the liberty we have in Christ. Okay. So remember Peter, a lot of people don't uh, remember it, but it was at least six to eight years before Peter went to Cornelius, the first Gentiles, that the gospel was preached to. And he was given a dream or a trance in the middle of the day, and he was told to go to him and give him the gospel. Well, Peter had a problem. He said, we Jews do not go into Gentile homes and eat with them. It's forbidden. And they were considered dogs or unclean. And the Jew would not do that. And another thing we find interesting with Peter, too, he's still holding to some of the ritual, as James and them did. And some of them were okay, and the Jews just kept them. But they didn't feel they were bound to it legally, but they observed the law. James bragged to Paul and them said, we have many priests to have come to the Lord and are zealous of the law. So as a witness, they lived the same principles and feast days and certain sacrifice, but they knew that Christ had fulfilled these things, that their salvation was not in them. Where under the law, you broke certain these things, your salvation was involved. You could be put to death, thrown out, Various things could be brought on you for not doing it. So when Peter fell into the trance and he had a vision, a symbolic vision, and all of these beasts he saw, unclean animals that they could not eat like pigs, but they could see lambs and they could eat them. But he saw all of these various animals and a voice said to him, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. Well, that took him back. Because what did he say? People don't consider what he said. He said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So Peter was still observing the rituals of the law. And he still felt that they were not to eat certain foods and stuff. And so the Lord was straightening him out. As he said, when the Spirit comes, he'll guide you into all truth. So this was the Lord preparing him to go to the Gentile. And so when he preached to Cornelius, he saw the Lord was saying, he's not unclean anymore. You know, I'm not to look at him. 
and he sends a letter back to James to explain what he did. Because James, being the bishop or overseer of the Jerusalem church, he wanted him to concur, and he explained why he did it. So much for him being the pope and the leader, he always referred to James on certain matters and explained what he was doing. Because it was the apostles and elders of Jerusalem church that were the foundation, and they were still Jewish Christians, okay? And so he said, I've never eaten. So when people talk about Peter being a, a filthy mouth fisherman, they're liars. They're from the devil. There's no such teaching. Peter was a morally upright person, as all the disciples were, or the Lord would not have called them. See, he didn't call blatant sinners. He called people who were faithful to the law and to the Lord. You look in the Old Testament, not one prophet was called that was living in sin. They had to at least be serving the Lord in the light they had, whatever their knowledge was, but they were not practicing gross sinners, as a lot of greasy grace people will tell you, so they can excuse their continual sins that'll send them to the lake of fire. They're the ones going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, you're lawless. He don't even mention all the good works they talk about. He says, you're lawless and cursed of my father. And that's going to be most professing Christian. So Peter, being a good Jew and a Christian Jew, still did not eat what the law forbade. So in Israel and Jerusalem, they accepted Christ, the Jews, but they still went to the temple. They still gave sacrifices. But they saw who it led to. They saw it was not their salvation, but it was as a witness to the Jew. As Paul would say later, to witness to the Jew, he said, I become a Jew. So Paul did not go to Jews, which he was, and eat a ham sandwich when he tried to preach the gospel to them. He didn't do something to offend them. He looked at them as being ignorant and wicked, so he came down to their level but then after he preached and got them saved, they were instructed. And so this was what was happening at this time. So Paul's saying, don't judge these weaker Christians. Their conscience bothers them, and you're not to convince them other than the word of God. You're not to say, go do it anyway, because that's sin for them to do it, if their conscience still bothers them. So it's the enlightened conscience that the Lord and the Holy Spirit wants. When a person matures in the Lord, it shows his Christian maturity by his conscience. He can do and not do. He sees and perceives things that a novice often does not. Then he has liberty to do certain things. So uh, now was the time to eat anything since Christ came. It was liberty for the Christian. Jesus said this was the hard sayings, but the Spirit would enlighten you, and he's done this now. So for a while, Christian, Jewish Christians thought the gospel was mainly for the Jew. That's why they didn't go preach. They figured the Gentile, as a proselyte, could come to them and become a proselyte, and then they'd be a Christian. Well, Paul actually cancels all that out. And he's saying, when a person comes to the Lord like Cornelius, they don't even have to become a Jew. And he didn't. He was a Gentile. He was righteous before the Lord in the light that he had. And the angel said, your good deeds have come up before the Lord. Now, if he was a gross 
filthy sinner, the angel wouldn't have told him that. But because he walked in the light he had, and he was a morally upright and good man, but he was not a Jew, and he was not a proselyte, the Lord honored that and said, now I'm going to send someone to you to show you the clear way. And that's why he sent Peter to him. And there was 12 of them, basically, when Peter preached to him and taught to him. And immediately they believed they were not only saved, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues. Well, this surprised Peter. So when he explains this to James, he said they spoke in tongues like we do, which was the proof back then of the outpouring of the Spirit. And he said, and God did it to the Gentiles just like us. So he's sort of telling James, I, I couldn't do nothing about it. This was the Lord. And of course, James accepted that. And so we see that when the church later recognized Paul's ministry, they said, we'll go to the Jews, and they still kept the law, the rituals, but they told Paul, the Gentiles don't have to keep any of these things. See, and again, it was the enlightenment and to still be a witness to the Jewish people for 40 more years, and then God destroyed the temple and Israel and the whole religious system, but he still gave them time to listen. He was still patient with them, and they kept rebelling against him 40 years after they killed Christ, okay? So it shows you he was not quick to act on these. After the destruction of Jerusalem, it's believed that Josephus, the Jewish historian, many Jews considered him a traitor because he did side with the Romans over certain issues, but he comes out and says and writes that there were about 30,000 professing Christians, and they left Jerusalem before it was destroyed. And the scripture implies, we know when Jesus said, flee when you see certain things coming, for the Romans had besieged Jerusalem, and then after several months, they had problems up in Syria, so they left temporarily. And during that time, the Christians left the city. Even Josephus says some of their prophets spoke to them and said they were told to leave. So basically, Christians were not killed during the destruction of Jude. They fled and left the area, and they were warned to do this because God's wrath was going to be poured out on the religious and the Jewish system for their continual rebellion against Christ and God, and he was tired of it. And after that, we do not see or hear of Christian Jews going and witnessing the synagogue. See, they were under the period for then it was, as Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all the same. We come to Christ the same way. There was no benefit either way if you come to Christ. You're not bound by either system. So that happened after the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? Verse 2. Now, one person, and he's talking about a Christian Jew or a Gentile Christian, is implying they, that he may eat all things. That was basically the Christian Gentile Christians. They were not Jews, and they had liberty. They didn't have to observe, can't eat this, can't eat that, can't travel on the Sabbath, have to honor this ritual, this moon, that moon. They weren't brought under that. They came out of systems like that in their demonology and their false cults. Many of them were involved in other kind of bondages, and so they saw the freedom 
that they didn't have to do this. Why, even the body of Christ, only two rituals was commanded of them. One was, when they come to the Lord, they must be water baptized. And the other was, when they took the Lord's Supper. Those were the only two rituals, and even they were not confined to a time or a day. So when the Catholic Church and the liberal Protestants, they started bringing all these things, they were just like the Pharisee. God had given the under the law 40-some precepts for them to keep. By the time Jesus came, there were about 600 of them. They made up all of these rules, and everybody had to, they put more bondage on the people instead of freedom. So one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. So if he was eating certain meats and he was still questioning to be safe, he wouldn't eat meat. You say, well, if I can eat lamb and can't eat pig and can't, uh, he didn't want to bother, he ate vegetables and spared himself a lot of trouble. And that was the Jewish convert, okay? And so we see Paul enlightens us further. He said his faith, his conscience allows him to eat anything, the Gentile, but the one week his conscience is not enlightened. And so he'll just stick with vegetables. And they were sanctioned under the law. There were basically no restrictions under the law of Moses. Now, verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. So he's telling both of them, you leave that other Christian alone. If you feel you've got liberty, use it. And if this person does it, you leave him alone. Because if you convince him to do it and his conscience does it, you're causing him to sin. As far as the Lord is concerned, you're causing him. So if you don't have faith with seeing and trust, and that comes from your conscience being enlightened, you're not to do something. And so we have that today with various Christians. Some cannot drink wine. They think it'll send you to hell. And they, they'll even mistranslate scripture and say, Jesus made grape juice. No, he made wine. All things were pure. It's what they did with the wine that made them evil. Everything is pure in itself. Money's good. It has a useful purpose. But the love of money and for luxury and self-indulgence and sin, it'll send you to hell. So this is what Paul's trying to tell you. These things are indifferent. They're neutral. They don't make you spiritual or not. Now, the moral sins, like the Ten Commandments and stuff, they are still enforced to the Christian. He cannot commit adultery. He cannot lie. He does not steal. He honors his parent. He's not covetousness. That goes right into the law of Christ. And Paul actually said, if you do these things and practice them, you will not enter heaven. So Christians don't have liberty to do anything they want. And they've used these scriptures to give people a license to sin to their own damnation. As Peter said, they twist Paul's teachings to their own destruction as they do all scripture. So a heretic's a heretic, and a false teacher's a false teacher. And they'll twist and say the scripture don't mean this, and don't, and very plain what the scripture means. But those who resist the Holy Spirit and the truth are given over to lying spirits, and often they cannot see it. And they're intellectual, brilliant people, but they can't see like the Pharisees. 
Jesus says, you'll die in your sins. And he says, who you don't believe in me. And then he tells them why they don't, because they're living in sin, and they won't even adhere to the principles of the law. They taught various things, but they didn't live it. And they were hypocrites. And many of them were covetous. And because of that, they were not enlightened. Jesus said, I thank you, Father. You've hidden these things. He doesn't want the wicked having troops. That's a part of the consequence of God's punishment. People think he's out there begging everybody to get saved. No. If they don't come his way, and if they don't walk in the light they have, they get nothing. He hides the truth from them because it does them no good. So I do not believe you keep preaching to the same person for years and years and years. Paul would say he judges himself unworthy of the kingdom. He said after two or three times, have nothing to do with them. If you give them the true gospel, and if they claim to be Christians, there's always scripture that a conscience at the level they're at, even a wicked person, can consider and evaluate and make a decision. Maybe I need to seek this out. Everybody, to some degree, is drawn by the Father. No one can get saved unless the Father draws him. So Jesus is the author and finisher of everybody's faith. But those who resist the truth are given over to lies. And see, a lot of people don't understand that. So they waste 30 and 40 years hounding someone who doesn't want the gospel. Someone who's rejected and insulted the Lord, and God may never deal with them. That's his business. So we're not told to hound those kind of people. Even Paul, he preached two and three times in the synagogues. Then he's brushed the dust off his feet, and he didn't go back. We can learn something from that. So people think you can go to a person on their deathbed after they rejected the gospel for 30 years and the last five minutes they're going to become a Christian. Let me tell you something. That might be one in 20 million. That is not scripture, okay? It's greasy, easy believism that they think. But God is not interested in saving people just to keep them out of hell. He saves people to live righteously and live for him. So if their sole reason is to avoid hell, they're just fear and punishment. It's not going to save them, and nothing's going to happen to them. The Spirit's not going to bear witness. But false shepherds will try to convince them, give them a little peace before they die. Well, they're not going to have peace when they stand before the Lord for misrepresenting him. So we need to get back to what the Word teaches, okay? So one Christian... Gentiles were not to show contempt or look down on the Jewish Christians who couldn't eat certain things. Nor was the Jewish to say, oh, he's sinning because he's doing that, because the Gentile Christian have seen his liberty and freedom. So he was saying, you don't go after each other. Now, it's different, we'll find. They're committing adultery in the church. We're to judge them. But these matters, he says, we're not to, and he will go further and further explaining these things. So we have today same people who claim to be Christians and are who can't drink wine and have to observe Sunday as the Sabbath. And then they have other people like me. I think you can drink it. I've never drank it in my life. Never swallowed it, spit it out. I have no desire to, but I have the liberty if I want to, as long as I don't get drunk. And I esteem every day the same. Every day is the same. Sunday is no different than any other day. But some Christians receive it as a Sabbath. Well, their conscience is weak. 
but they better observe it if they think it's the way it should be done until they're enlightened or they're going to enter into sin. Okay. So we can use the person of liberty. All things of the earth, all things are lawful. He said, but they're not necessary sometimes. They're not useful. So you don't do them in front of weaker Christians. You don't provoke them. You don't brag about what you can do by doing it in front of them. Uh, he's talking about then you're not loving and you broke the second commandment. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself nor the brother in Christ. And he talks about consequences for this. Okay. Now four and five, who are you, talking to the Christian, to judge another servant, another man's servant? Well, he's talking about who? Christ. To his master, and that's for the Christian, it's Christ. He stands or falls. His conscience will determine that. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He can give him freedom and enlightenment at certain levels. But he says you're not to bother him. And his master is Christ. You leave him alone over these, what we call these minor petty things that have no spirituality or no sin in themselves. All things are pure in moderation. See, but everything that we can do in liberty can still be made sin. Paul talked about those who think they have a license to sin. The ultra-Calvinistic and the once saved, always saved, they think they have a license to sin. And no matter what happens, they're saved. Well, they're deceived by demons because the scripture doesn't teach any such thing. Our liberty is to live right and above sin and not be bound by it. Their liberty is to keep on sinning and glory in their perversions. Well, they're not going to make it into the kingdom. They got the wrong kind of grace and faith. Remember, Paul said he was very similar. James of faith without works is dead. Spiritual works, fruitfulness, obedience. He said it's empty vain. And what Paul said, if you're under grace, then you obey righteousness. And if you don't, he said, you lead to death. He said, it's whoever you obey. That's who your master is. Now, that's Paul the great man of faith and faith. He's saying you can claim to be in grace, but if you don't live righteously and morally, it's dead. It ain't working. So that's what we tell those kind of people who think they have a license to sin, who think there's irresistible grace, who thinks that no matter what happens, I'm saying, well, you're going to be surprised and speechless at the day of judgment when you're cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so one person, verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Okay, they began to see they worshipped on the first day of the week. Many of the Christians gathered them, but it was never given as a command. He said, when you come together, never once did any apostles say you have to come together on a certain day. They generally did it. Uh -huh. But he said, one person regards that day and thinks you should do it because he come down to Judaism and thought you had to observe. And so a lot of people say, well, Sunday's our Sabbath. There's no scripture for that. Oh, I know most Christian ministers teach it, but they have no foundation for it. The true Christian Hebrew says we live in a perpetual Sabbath. We're living in a spiritual Sabbath. Every day is the same to us. So a Christian has liberty to gather and worship anytime he wants to. And if the local church decides to meet on Wednesday or Tuesday, 
then you observe that because they are doing it for edification and we're supposed to obey them if they're serving the Lord and teaching right. So they can say, I'd rather for you to come on Wednesday. Well, out of a submission and obedience and for the edification of the body, you come. But you know it's not going to save you or not save if you don't come. So see, we understand these things as you mature. The immature Christian and the novice has not figured these things out. Okay. So one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. So I believe every day is alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind, in his own conscience. Fully convinced. There's a reason for this. We'll go over to it in a minute. So you are not to judge your brother in these, we call indifferent things, foods and drinks and outward appearances and stuff. They're not important to spirituality. So Paul reproved some Christians and Gentiles that were still holding to spiritual special days, moons, and the word is Sabbath. Some people like to say they meant the other Sabbath. Any Sabbath on a special feast day was the equivalent of the Sabbath. It was no less, and you had to obey it under the law, okay? So he was saying, I'm afraid of you. Why? Because some of the Galatians were being brought under uh, the Judaizers, and they were trying to bring them back to observing all the law and telling them, well, you really can't be saved if you don't. They were trying to move to salvation back to the law instead of Christ, and that's why Paul went after them and called them heretics and false. Uh, he was talking about, you know, I'm afraid of you because you're being brought under bondage. You observe months, you won't eat this. And the Gentiles were being brought into this because they forgot the liberty they had in Christ. Okay? And so he's straightening them out on these things. So those whose conscience is enlightened, they can observe all days as the same. But they can meet with a Jewish Christian on his Sabbath or a day he thought was good, they could go fellowship with him, and they could eat. But they didn't have to believe it. They were doing it as a courtesy and love. But the Christian that had to do it is not to look at him and say, well, you can never do this, because the mature Christian says, when I go home, I can drink wine. I cannot observe a day, because it's none of your business what I do with my conscience. You don't have liberty, and I do. Well, see, that's where the problem came in. So Paul's straightening them out, and he's telling both sides, you leave them alone. You let them do what their conscience gives them liberty to do, or otherwise this could be said in the picture. So each one will stand before his master. The Lord is the helper of us all, and he deals with our conscience as people grow and mature. Novices and babes don't understand all of this. That's why Hebrews says you, you have need of milk again because you're falling away because your spirit has not learned to discern between good and evil. It was being enlightened and you put it under bondage again. You forgot who you were in Christ and what liberty the spirit gave you. And you put yourself under. So some Christians bind themselves and they make rules like the Pharisees did and have no scriptural basis. They'll try to use logic. They've told me, I've been years ago, uh, it's a sin to go to any movie. Probably most of them, I tell you. you know, 
yet they stay home and watch television all day. What's the difference? It's hypocrisy. And the old Pentecostal women could never cut their hair, but they put it up on top of their head. Well, it defy the word. The word says the long hair was a covering. How can it be a covering if it's propped up on top of you? See, this legalism, they're splitting hairs over certain things. They've not got the spirit of it. They're bringing themselves and putting bondages. And so you see certain Amish women and certain Mennonite, and they wear a little beanie cap, the women do. That's to cover their head. Well, it's not covering their head. Their long hair should be covering their head. And that little beanie cap ain't doing nothing but promoting how stupid they are and foolish because their conscience is not enlightened. And they are not want to be enlightened because if you live that way your whole life, you've not been matured much, okay? You're weak in the faith if you're still in it. Like I say, God has no spiritual retarded children, and they're no baby Christians after 10 and 20 and 30 years. They're backsliders and rebellious, and they won't grow up in the Lord. That's what you'll find in Scripture, okay? So each will stand before the Lord, uh, fully convinced. Only a conscience enlightened by the Holy Spirit can truly be at liberty. Now back to the use that we've used often, and you'll see this why a lot of prayers and people don't meet the conditions for God here in their prayers. First John chapter three, verses twenty to twenty-two. If our heart condemns us, our conscience, God is greater than our heart. So he's saying your conscience is given to instruct you, but it's not perfect, and God is. So if your even weak conscience bothers you, what do you think God's looking at? So he's telling you it's a lesser law, but it is a law that must be obeyed until it's enlightened properly, okay? And he said, and God knows all things. Now, beloved, if our conscience does not condemn us, bother us, convict us, we have faith toward God, confidence. So confidence and prayer, you can't have faith if you're not right with the Lord. The Lord says he says to hear the prayer of sinners. The Apostle James says a double-minded person, a Christian who goes up and down and back and forth, he said, don't let him think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. He's too wishy-washy. He stays on the fence. He's up and down. You see, he's no consistency, so the Lord don't hear him. He needs to get in or get out, like the lukewarm, get on the fence, get hot or get cold, but don't sit there and try to straddle the fence because it won't work with the Lord, okay? And whatsoever we ask, we receive from him. Okay, what is the faith? Why do we believe we receive? Because our conscience does not judge us as being wrong or in sin. And because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing. He didn't say because we believe Jesus is the son of God. He said, because you obey him. Jesus himself said, the Father always hears me because I always do those things that please him. Not because I'm the Son of God, the Christ, the prophet. He didn't say, that's why he hears me. He said, because I always do those things. I obey him. So here again, we have faith without works. It's dead. You can have faith and prayer all you want. And I've known people 
They bypass their conscience. I mean, oh, I have faith. I'm going to stand on the word. Well, you're going to insult God further and be judged further. Because if you know you're living in sin and you won't repent and deal, don't you ask God for anything. The prayers of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. And Paul, we'll see later, he told the sinning person that wouldn't repent, he said, throw that wicked person out of your mess. He didn't call him Christian anymore. He'd been given opportunity to do it, and he had to repent and come back. And eventually he did. But he called him a wicked person. And you know no wicked person is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, So we see that the conscience has a lot to do with our walk with the Lord. Some people sear their conscience. I've heard that. I've heard Christians say, well, I have liberty to do this. I said, you don't have no liberty to commit adultery and fornication. I said, we don't have that kind of liberty. You have liberty to overcome it. And that's what grace was given for. It was not given as a license to sin. That's a demonic teaching. And people don't want to believe that, then they want to be deceived. They're willing to be ignorant, and hellfire will wait for them if they do not repent. So the assurance of our undisturbed conscience gives us faith to pray. And then as we pray, we know God hears us. And then he may instruct us on how to pray and what his answer might be, yes or no. A lot of people think because they then they'll get what they want. The Holy Spirit edits. He doesn't answer selfish prayers. He doesn't answer covetous prayers. So that's 90% of beginner Christians' prayers. Give me this, give me that. It's like James says, to consume upon your own lust. Where Paul said, set your mind on spiritual things. These other things, you should learn contentment. Well, people aren't content. They want more in this because they're covetous. And a lot of Christians are still covetous and immaterialistic like the prosperity of faith people. And that is a sin. And it says a covetous person, Paul said, is an idolatra, and you know no idolatra has eternal life in him. Let's go ahead and take a break now.